don't wait. Don't wait to see how these trade discussions will pan out. Don't wait until, if there is a deal, we've been able to understand it. There is so much we do know. This is going to look like a pretty hard Brexit, deal or no deal. And in particular, the impact of a hard border between the UK and the EU in any scenario is going to be the biggest change for most sectors that we'll see from 1st of January. We know the phrase, cash is king. Make sure that you have the cash and the money to be able to deal with problems as as they arise. COVID has put a great strain on that, but that's really important at the time of any series of unexpected changes that one might be facing. That financial stability and resilience to be able to deal with things is really important. The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. The Cross-Examination. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode on Brexit in the time of COVID. We are a few short weeks away from the final Brexit deadline. Although the UK officially left the EU on the 31st of January 2020, since then we have been in the transition period, meaning, as you know, that the effect of Brexit on our day-to-day lives and on business has not yet fully manifested. In January 2020, we had a full year to prepare for the changes that the end of the transition period would bring. However, understandably, businesses, government and individuals have spent much of the last year grappling with the challenges and tragedies of COVID-19. Although good news about COVID vaccines has lifted the mood globally, we will still be undergoing the seismic changes of Brexit during a global pandemic and at a time when resources, physical, financial and emotional are severely depleted. I spoke with two experts, Moni Mannings and David Thornlow, to ask them what the key things are that businesses can do to prepare in the remaining weeks and to find out if the timing of the COVID tragedy has brought us any opportunities for navigating Brexit. The Cross-Examination Hi, I'm Moni Mannings. I'm a non-executive director on various commercial boards, FTSE 250 and FTSE 100. I'm also a former lawyer of 30 years standing. I worked in private practice and I am also currently deputy chair of Bernardo's, a children's charity. Thank you so much for coming on to talk to me today. I really wanted to speak with you about Brexit in a time of COVID because I know that you've had a fantastic career as a board member, which has spanned a real range of industries and organisations, and you're the trustee for a hospital foundation. And I just wanted to start by asking you across all of these different sectors, where do you think the combination of Brexit and COVID is going to be the most complicated, problematic and why? That's a really interesting question and I think it's hard to answer the question of where is it going to be most complicated because Brexit is really about goods, services and people, right? It's about the movement and the transfer of those things. And two of those three things, in particular, people and services are particularly affected by COVID, where the services are delivered by people Mm. um, and where the goods are being moved by people. So actually, there's almost nothing on our island that doesn't fall into one of those three categories. So it's really hard to say where will it fall. It's just a question, I think, of 
which impact on it most. So um, I'll give you an example. In my hospital trust, you wouldn't necessarily think that Brexit would have a dramatic or direct impact, but it has a quite a significant indirect impact on two fronts, on some of the supply of some of the drugs and goods and so on that we have, but also on people. We've had, um, you know, people have had to think about where they will work. We've got a number of suppliers into the hospitals who have people from um, Central Eastern Europe and other European jurisdictions. All of that's affected and late COVID on top of that with the pressures that they've been in the health service and it's absolutely acute. Can you have some practical examples of those places where Brexit and COVID are just going to combine in the early months of 2021? Given that I think it's going to affect all sectors in varying degrees, I think one of the, the, the problems, leaving aside a particular sector, one of the problems is that Brexit was going to cause um, transitional issues of logistics, of movement of goods, of people, of services anyway. And so that would probably have added more cost, more time, more uh, need to deal with suppliers and consumers, whether it's to do with goods being stuck in Kent or whether it's to do with getting, yeah, uh, you know, sort of people to and from places. That resilience to be able to deal with that one event was probably um, being uh, warmed up to. And I think there are a lot of companies that are not properly prepared. But nevertheless, there was some resilience in the economy to be able to take that kind of weight. The problem is that the resilience in the economy is really weak now, particularly with a lot of companies that have had to go through lots of restructuring. A lot of their staff is on furlough. The resources have been used up. I'm David Thornlow. I'm a legal director in the Brexit advisory team in Pinsent Masons. I was previously head of EU law and legislation in the government's department for exiting the EU. The sheer complexity of this is what is so so mind-boggling, and I think what which feels so stymieing, if you know what I mean. It, it's sort of hard to come up with a plan for what you're going to do to be as resilient as possible. Um, when it's nearly four years past that initial vote in 2016 and we still we still don't have the terms of the exit and I know that business is crying out to just be told what they're planning for. Yeah. Um, I think that given that we're still at a very late stage and we still don't know, I, I would be really interested to hear from you on what you think companies can still be doing to mitigate the challenges of COVID and Brexit because I'm very much a firm believer of, uh, in the idea that there is still something that can be done. Sitting back and waiting is not a valuable use of our time. We've become accustomed over the last few years to, to the uncertainty that we've had to face with Brexit. But, but in fact, over, over recent months, and certainly since the midpoint of 2020, we've started to see a bit more certainty emerging about what scenarios we will be facing post-Brexit on 1st of January as details have come out from the negotiations about the likely deal and, and it's become clear on which issues, even if there is a deal, they're, they're unlikely to have a change. And what, so what we're seeing are more and more similarities between the deal and no deal scenarios. The biggest difference between the two undoubtedly will be if the government can get a deal which ensures free trade without customs duties without tariffs between the UK and the EU. But even in um, a deal scenario, we, 
we can expect to see um, disruption at the border because customs formalities will need to be introduced. There will be controls and checks and that will have a cost and that will involve delays. So if there was one message that I could give to to businesses, what what is the one thing to do or, or to think about to be ready for 1st of January? I think it would be don't wait. Don't wait to see how these trade discussions between the UK and the EU will pan out. Don't wait until if there is a deal, we've been able to understand it. Because there is so much we do know um, that this is this is going to look like a pretty hard Brexit deal or no deal. Uh, and in particular, I think the impact of a hard border between the UK and the EU in any scenario is going to be the biggest change for, for most sectors on the economy that we'll see from 1st of January. In terms of tackling these challenges that the Brexit is posing, no two businesses are the same, but the key task for any business is to map out the ways that COVID and Brexit will impact on them based on what we know. And there are some that are short term some of the movement restrictions we've seen and perhaps with Brexit, the disruption on imports and exports at the borders, that's likely to be short term in that first half of 2021 while things bed down. But they're also likely to be long term impacts to deal with. So with Brexit, as I said, those trade barriers are long term. They're going to be adding some cost to any trade in the EU for years to come. And with COVID, it's looking like social distancing and remote working are long-term trends that are going to affect demand for face-to-face services. So businesses need to map through these different impacts and ask themselves all these questions. Are their supply chains resilient? Can they still meet the new look needs of customers? Are the contracts with prices and obligations that were agreed in the old world still fit for the new era? Uh, and the bottom line is, is to look at whether their business models are, are fit for the future or how best can they adapt them. I'm very curious, what sort of queries and issues do you think are going to keep coming up for lawyers during this period? What are clients going to be asking for again and again or going to their GCs or their private practice lawyers and, and sort of, you know, what are, the, what are the, I don't know, the top three legal queries or the top legal query you think is going to be on everybody's lips after January? From the work that we're doing with businesses on on Brexit, we are seeing a a big four issues that seem to be coming up most frequently with a number of businesses, which seem to be relevant for for most businesses that we're dealing with. And those are the supply chain issues affected by the border, product regulation, uh, where you're dealing with regulated goods, people movement and then the fourth one is data transfers so different businesses will be affected by different ones um, in in different ways there and perhaps some not at all but those are the big four that we're seeing Um, of course brexit is just so wide um, that it covers that a whole massive range of issue and we're going to see on 1st of January, literally thousands of pages of new legislation and guidance will come into force in one fell swoop. And even as of today, as we speak, some of it still hasn't been produced. So 
in terms of those issues that the lawyers will be picking up, deal or no deal, there is a huge amount of information on Brexit. And, and I think that lawyers really have a key role in just helping clients to digest it all, to help them navigate the complexity and, and provide some reassurance and confidence uh, to help help businesses run their operations in these uncertain times. I know that you sit on a number of boards and, and as I said, you're a trustee of a hospital. And I just wondered, you know, I, I always like, we, we tackle some really thorny issues on the cross-examination. And I always like to hear from what people are doing to make things better for their organisations, to give some sort of practical hints and tips to the listeners. And, I, and so I was very keen to hear from you what sort of things that the organisations you work with have been doing to make themselves as resilient as they can or manage the twin challenges. One of the things that I'm seeing across themes in most of my businesses um, is it's a really obvious thing. And we know the phrase cash is king. Make sure that you have the cash and the money to be able to deal with problems as, as they arise. It's really important to have the liquidity and the cash and the resources to be able to do that. COVID has, has put a great strain on that, but that's really important at the time of any series of unexpected changes that one might be facing. I think that's uh, that financial stability and resilience to be able to deal with things is really important. So we've been making sure in all of our businesses that we have um, headroom um, and we have support from our other stakeholders, whether it's um, investors or uh, uh, lenders and so on and so forth, to make sure that we have the, the resilience to be able to cope with any appropriate turbulence that might be coming. I think the other thing that's really important is communications and to make sure that as things change that are that may be unexpected that you communicate with all of the relevant stakeholders you know whether it's your own people within your organization whether it's suppliers customers investors um creditors that your communications are strong and to have the methods in place for that you may not have decided what it is you're going to communicate because that will be a function of the circumstances but how swiftly can you do that we've learned some of that through covid actually so it's really a question of making sure that, that that lesson is still in place. And then I think I would say one of the third things um, that I would add to the, to the list is really know your regulations, really know, um, and this is probably speaking to the lawyers and the compliance people, really know where you stand. Do you still have a license to operate? Do you still have a license to import, to export, to um, move things around, to deliver a service and have a plan B if we don't have a deal? One of the interesting things that I found through the COVID period is how that has amplified where your strengths and your weaknesses in a business really are. Uh, and they may not be where you think they are. And that supply, let's say su supply chain relationships, I think can, can be, you might think that there may be a vulnerability in there, but literally the communications can make a difference, particularly through COVID, which has affected people across the world, there is a bit more willingness, I think, to be able to try and get through this together. You know, I really love that message, actually, because I think that that was something that started to come out when COVID hit. Um, and I remember talking on an earlier podcast, I think with Stephen Allison about this, um, where we sort of said, you know, yes, you might go to your contract that you have with a supplier and you might look up your termination provisions and you might think, yes, I've got them banged to rights. But in the medium to long term, does it really benefit you and everybody else to collapse that contract? 
to use your termination rights? Or would it benefit you to have a really honest conversation with your customer, with your supplier to say, this is the situation. But if you can help us out, we'll be there for you in three months and six months. It's just this initial period. And I'd like to think that that is something that continues well past Brexit and COVID and just into the future, because I think it's just a more collegiate way of doing business and a better one. I completely agree with that. And it ties in very directly with the growing sense, particularly with consumers, but in businesses at all, about there being purpose and values and how one behaves as a business through difficulties, whether it's with your own people, with suppliers, with your communities, with other stakeholders, has a significant impact on how you all come through the difficulty. Um, COVID has been a really sharp um, experience of that. Brexit will be similar. So uh, the communications and the whether you stand on the letter of your contract or whether you stand in the spirit of trying to do the best thing in the circumstances um, will make a difference to how one comes out the other end because people will have choices. My, my view very much is that this um, period um, uh, of the Brexit change is a change. It will normalise. Whatever the new normal will be, leaving aside COVID, or whatever the new post-Brexit normal will be, will settle down and people will remember how you behaved during the turmoil. Contracts are a real challenge and, and there there is absolutely no magic wand to, to Brexit-proof them or indeed to COVID-proof them. A contract is always an exercise in gazing into a crystal ball to some extent, trying to foresee the circumstances that will arise. And undoubtedly, contracts made a few years ago would have been so difficult, if not impossible, to foresee the circumstances we're seeing with COVID. And indeed, the circumstances of Brexit may not have been foreseen. So it is absolutely key. The more information we get, for businesses really to think about an early alert system to see can they, as more information emerges about the new the new world that we're living in, about the new circumstances of, of Brexit, can they identify these problems before they reach crunch point, before they really become major showstoppers and trade grounds to a halt or a trading relationship is, is broken down? And it's certainly ab- absolutely about strong relationships with, with business partners. It's about working through those issues, a contract needs to be an agreement between those parties. And neither side is served really if if a contract just becomes impossible to perform and it's going to drive one of the parties out of business. That's that's just in no one's interest at all. And certainly with with the businesses we're working with, we see this recognition that, that people do need to adapt and these contracts uh, will need to be adapted, need to reflect um, new levels of demand. Uh, and as I was saying, with, with Brexit, the particular issues to look at, it's not so much about Brexit proofing as such, but it's about thinking, well, what, what is the impact around these new border arrangements? Will will that change the arrangements for delivery? How crucial are timing questions? Who will take responsibility um, for payment of any customs duties uh, and, and ensuring delivery? So it's really working through all those issues, which a couple of years ago would not have been a problem at all, and and finding a way forward, which, which everyone can, can live with. 
and the bottom line is is we all need to be fleet of foot and and ready to adapt to the to the new and ever changing circumstances. Having been a lawyer for thirty years in in private practice, and um, I was a banking and finance lawyer where we um, produced hundreds of pages long documents um, to deal with every single eventuality that one could conceivably think of. Um, and having um, lived through several recessions, including the dot-com bust and the market crash and so on, in reality, what we found was that the documents took you only so far. In the end, a solution, if it was a company going bust, if it was a loan that could be called in, in the end, the interests were more aligned than you might think on paper actually for, let's say, a lender to get a good outcome by coming out of the loan actually required working with the company to work through their problems. For a customer or for a supplier to get a good outcome, generally, when you really come down to it, requires you to work together to get to a solution. And that's the mindset. And that's what, what I found through the various recessions I was in. The documents helped with a little bit, really, with, I'm not disrespecting the, the legal profession, I did it for 30 years, but they help as a starting point, but they're not the solution. And I think that's the, uh, that's the, the, the learning, I would say. The documents are really important to help frame a starting point, but the solution that you want to get to is one that has to be worked out from around the documentary and regulatory base. And that's what we're all going to need to do, and that's what will be remembered the other side of COVID and Brexit. I really love the way you've put that. And the reason I love it so much is that contracts, and I was a contracts lawyer for 12 years, are, are at, at their heart, they are static yeah. and unchanging. And yes, you can make amendments and you can go through change control processes. But ultimately, at the beginning of your relationship, you write down 30 odd or 40 odd or hundreds of pages of what you expect. And life just isn't like that. And business isn't like that. Business is and life is an evolution. And the kind of the contract documents are always lagging a little behind that, I think, and lagging a bit behind the relationship. And I think one of the things that I always remember is that when I was in practice, the amount of times, because I was an in-house lawyer, I'd have commercial colleagues coming to me and saying, this has happened, Becky what does the contract say? How can I get out myself out of this? And I'd say a large proportion of the time I would have to turn around and say, well, the contract doesn't say anything. It's an unusual situation and the contract's not perfect and you can't draft for every eventuality. And if you try, you usually end up tying yourself in more knots than if you had taken that route of saying, contract is starting point. We're going to establish a relationship and now we're going to have a really frank and fruitful conversation about how we're going to get through this together. But so many people want to just sit back and say, gosh, okay, well, I've got a contract. I spent a lot of money getting this thing negotiated. That must tell me the solution. I don't want to have to put my kind of grown-up trousers on and go out and negotiate this again. But I think that's where we are. You're absolutely right. The, the, the contract is a bit like a map, and that's fine. That can be helpful to a significant extent. But when you actually start walking the territory, different things come up and you may have to make different decisions and that's what it is. And I think therefore knowing what your ideal destination is, is more important than every single step you're going to take to get to that destination. And, and that destination, when it involves other people, uh, suppliers, customers, consumers, whoever, has to take into account what their outcomes need to be as well. Um, and I think that's, that's good sage advice that council in-house counsel, external lawyers can give you. 
here's the map, but not everything is on the map. Which also reminds me of a, of a phrase, I think, I, I can't remember where it comes from, but there's a well-known phrase that the map is not the territory, which I've always loved. I loved completely because the map is just an abstraction of what's really going on on the ground. And, and it's the same with a contract, really. A, a contract is just an abstraction of a relationship. One of the big challenges that we'll see in 2021, which, which I think for lawyers really will be a challenge, is how does one respond when things have gone wrong? Because I, th I think what we will see inevitably are breaches of contract or, or breaches of new regulations that probably very diligent businesses, they're just struggling to work with new requirements and new circumstances and have, have broken these contracts or not complied with regulations. And that is so much more than just being able to advise a client on the letter of the law. It's about being able to work through the consequences and the risks. What do they mean in practice? How, how can we resolve these contractual problems? Or how do we work with regulators to find a way through them? And I think that's really where good lawyers will come into their own with really practical real world solutions to help their clients. I am so pleased that you have brought up this topic because it's honestly one of the things that I've been thinking about and, and talking about with people for a while is this idea that we've, we've had recessions, we've had COVID, there's going to be, a, as you say, a deluge of um, new guidance and information that comes with Brexit as well as you know the potential disruption around supply chains and things. And, and, and all of these things are really a, a bit of a perfect storm really for breach. And that's what it comes down to, isn't it? Breach yeah. and breach, breach of uh, can be of almost any flavour. It could be anything from money laundering regulations, through bribery, through um, just simple contract breach, simple breach of employee guidance. Because the, the, there are so many different ways in which a company can breach. Because some of the contracts that we have these days, some of the regulations that we have these days are deeply complicated, particularly when it comes to you know, contracts where you have 10 pages of binders telling you how you're supposed to do something. Yeah. And I think that, that we are going to see just this huge spike and uptick in breach. And one of the things that I observe is that a lot of the guidance that is out there and a lot of the commentary that's out there from law firms is all rightly about telling people how to avoid a breach how to make sure they're complying but there is nowhere near the amount of information out there telling people what to do when the worst has happened and you enter into this very sort of gray area where there might be um, guidance from the sfo uh, the serious fraud office on if you've had a bribery then you're going to need to do xyz in order to um, qualify for a deferred um, prosecution agreement perhaps um, and there might be a little bit of guidance on what to say or what not to say on social media but we don't have quite the same joined up approach I think as there is when it comes to compliance when we we're talking about breach and, and so I am very pleased to hear you saying and laying out for people expect breaches is there anything that people can be doing now to anticipate that they might have to move very quickly to manage breaches in 2021? I think the focus we're seeing now on comply with the law to avoid those breaches, I think that must be the right one to do what one can to avoid getting into those difficult situations. Uh, if, if we look then, what might those breaches look like? They're probably in, in two categories. 
and and those are where you're dealing with contracts and and business partners and the other is regulatory requirements and you're dealing with regulators enforcing it and i think probably the key there is understanding the real world situation and understanding the relationship and so if there's anything that can be done it, it in advance now it's about building those relationships it's about having those discussions now with with one's contractual partners um, so that you're on a solid footing and there is a strong relationship there to resolve difficulties that come up if there is a breach and when we're talking about regulatory requirements it's what can one do to follow and understand the perspective of these regulators there are no doubt some that are going to take uh, a very strict zero tolerance approach and um, where they would expect um, different sectors uh, particularly financial services where they've had a long time to prepare we could ex we could expect regulators to be taking quite a strict approach and that um, traders should be sufficiently diligent to be ready but there, there can be other sectors where one might hope that regulators will be a little bit more pragmatic and understanding um, because clearly the economy won't function if everyone is off to court um, every day when there's, there's going to be so so many uh, more breaches of regulatory requirements and contract because it's just inevitable that people will be struggling to comply. So I think what one can do now is to try and understand what is the perspective of these regulators? What are their priorities? What, what are they saying about this? What is the mood music? And if possible, to see, to see um, depending on the type of sector one's working in, even sort of building a, a relationship where that's appropriate with that kind of regulator. I do like to try and see my way clear to trying to inject some positivity, because as I said before, we talk about these really thorny, difficult things on the cross-examination. And I wanted to say, in all of the industries that you're working in um, and overseeing in your roles, are there any opportunities for industries or particular companies from this combination of Brexit or, and COVID, or even even just Brexit or COVID individually? Yeah, for sure. COVID, I think, has massively opened up the way in which we work and the way in which we choose to work and what we assume has to be the way in which we work. Um, that is particularly true of professional and financial services and other things that can now be done somewhat remotely when it was assumed that it could only be done from big office blocks and buildings in the center. That's going to open things up, which therefore means that to do with international trade, it's got to be more possible to be able to deliver services that might otherwise have required people to fly backwards and forwards and to and from countries for that activity to still take place. So I think there are things we have learned about the way we can work. We may not choose to always work that way, but the ways of working has, have meant that I think the world is going to become more flexible if we choose to do that. I have joined two boards over the course of this summer uh, where I have met, I've been interviewed and met only remotely, and we have had all of our board meetings remotely. Ways of working have changed and they've been during really intense times and we've been able to make some really, really good and important and big decisions during that time. I think there probably is a, a glimmer of hope. And I think when we reflect on 2020, 
for me, what I see the COVID pandemic is, has really prompted something of a digital revolution for us. We've seen a boost to online retail, even food takeaways. Um, and really, what's a significant slice of the UK economy in practice is our services sector. Mm. And that's now functioning so much from our kitchens around the nation, as so many of us work remotely from home. And I think that really does provide an opportunity long term, which I think is really well timed. I have to say, I am not a Brexit um doom doom merchant i leaving aside whether you agree with or disagree with brexit it is a transition i i think um depending on how we individually and collectively handled that situation um there are opportunities the rest of the world is is something we can look to in a different way it's not to say that we couldn't have done before but one can do in a different way just as with Brexit, these trade barriers are being erected between the UK and EU. What we're seeing is the new digital world is breaking down other barriers to trade, and that's in the UK, in the EU and, and beyond. Um, and I think in many sectors, we're coming to realise that connecting with customers or trade partners in a local office or a branch is not the only option. It's now just as easy to connect with a customer on the other side of the world through the joys of technology. And I think that is grounds for optimism. I am harbouring in my heart the hope that on the other side of this, we will see something like what happened when the NHS and the welfare state was created after World War II, that this will be such a seismic shock to society that we will pull together in that sort of order of magnitude. And we've had three things, particularly in the largely English-speaking world and in the, in the uh, European world, where we've also had in the middle of all of this Black Lives Matter, mm. which has made people think about people. And one of the big differences between previous movements is that there is a real sense of there being allies, not just those who are suffering the discrimination and the injustice, but a sense of allies. And you, these are all ingredients in the mix that can help us reach towards a more collaborative and cooperative way of doing things, whether it's because of Brexit or because of COVID or because of Black Lives Matter, they can help point us all in a better direction. It was fantastic, actually. At the end of a discussion on some really hard challenges, to see how the world might be shifting to a new way of doing things that the capacity for a more compassionate and more flexible way of doing business has been expanded and speeded up due to COVID. And I'm particularly interested in the idea that the innovations forced on us by COVID might create more opportunities and make Brexit easier than it might have been. There is still time left to prepare for Brexit though, and the more preparation you do now, the easier it will be after January. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you found it interesting and useful, then please subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Thank you. The Hearing. The Cross-Examination. A legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. To find out more, go to tr.com forward slash the hearing or subscribe via iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.